G'day everyone, it's Millie Nolan here from the Livestock Collective. Today on the Livestock Leaders podcast, we have another keen advocate on here to share her story. Not only does this leader have a powerful story in herself, she also had a part to play in the Livestock Collective story. I'm stoked to announce that our talent today is Renee Willis. Renee is a vet with many voyages for both sheep and cattle under her belt as the accredited veterinarian. Her passion for animal welfare has taken her around the world where she's trained others in livestock handling and she's now completing research in the field. I have her with me now. Welcome Renee and how are you today? I'm well, thanks Millie. Thanks very much for having me along today. No, thank you for coming on to the Livestock Leaders podcast. So Renee, we start each episode with the same question and that is what are three words or short phrases that you would use to describe yourself with? Um, so thinking about these, it's quite difficult to describe yourself, but I would say curious is, is definitely one trait and that certainly led me to research. Insistent is, is probably another thing. Uh, I was initially going to say maybe obstinate, but I think I'll soften it to insistent and then compassionate as well. Um, I like to stand up for, uh, the people that I work with um, and and the animals that I work with and as the vet on the ship often you are the voice for the animals under your care and and at times um, we have to well we we are in a position to um, represent the crew and represent the other people that we work with in industry so uh, compassionate is probably the the final word that I'd use yeah, Renee, certainly being compassionate is a very valuable trait to have in the role that you have in the industry. So can you tell us what you do? So my role, I'm a, I'm a qualified veterinarian and I work as a, as a shipboard vet. So um, I started out as a shipboard stock person for a couple of voyages and then um, completed my accreditation to work as a shipboard veterinarian. So I look after animals as they're, as they're being loaded onto the vessel during the voyage um, and during the discharge proceedings at, at the other end. Um, but I also have a role in industry uh, researching animal welfare. So my animal welfare research means that I've been collecting welfare data on animals through the whole supply chain. So that's been a really amazing opportunity. I can I can go out to to farms and um, assess livestock as they're being sourced for for live export, um, following them through to the the pre-export facility, making welfare assessments on them um, prior to the voyage, making welfare assessments on them throughout the voyage, and then following them into the destination feedlots and and often to the slaughterhouse facilities and destination countries. So following animals all the way through the supply chain has just been such an amazing experience. Part of that research, you know, I've met so many incredible people along the way and um, yeah, quite proud of our, our Australian animals when they're um, looking amazing and, and looking like such good quality livestock in foreign feedlots. Yeah, amazing. Um, so it's just taking you all around the world and you're clearly very passionate about animal welfare. Does, does there, is there a certain time in your life where you knew that this is what you wanted to do? Like, Where did that passion stem from? Um, my parents are both vets. Um, they worked in rural mixed practice, so they did a lot of large animal work, um, production animal work in in well, Warrialda is the, the town that I grew up in as a small child and then moved to Armadale in New South Wales. So um, my parents were pretty heavily involved in, in the local agriculture um, production animal industries around those, those towns, around those areas. 
So I've always had an interest in animal welfare and, and animal production science. Um, I'm also, I have a background riding and, and competing quite heavily in equestrian events. So growing up, uh, looking after horses, having having animals as a, as a huge part of my life, I've always been interested in, in studying sciences as well. So it, it was almost a, a given that I would go into <laughs> working with animals and um, and the animal welfare space has been something that I've really moved into as a specific focus uh, when I started a PhD research project with MLA Live Corp. Yeah, so obviously um, heavily involved in the live export industry now and with your research, when you became a vet first, when did that move into live export? I initially started... Um, when I first graduated, I, I went back to work for my parents in Armadale. So I was working um, with production animals in Armadale. And then I went to England, was working in some mixed practices, uh, doing locum work in England. Um, and then I started working in an equine practice. So I was working as a horse vet for a number of years, but I, I really did miss working with cattle and sheep. So I decided to, to do a couple of voyages on, a, on an export vessel going from Darwin to Indonesia because I wanted to get back into, into working with production animals and I thought that was a good way to, to start. I also did some further professional development through Sydney University, um, ruminant nutrition and, and beef production medicine. Um, so I, I, I initially thought that I would use those live export voyages to, to, to get a hand back into production animal industries, but... The live export industry does really look out for new skills and, and new people coming on board. And it's, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty soon that I was kind of uh, welcomed into the industry and, and given a lot of different opportunities and a lot of opportunities to progress my career. So, you know, one thing sort of led to another with, with um, doing some shipboard work, um, doing some, some more work with MLA Life Cop, doing some training programs, uh, with accredited stock people and, and a research project. The industry has definitely been very um, supportive of career progression. And I, and I see that a lot with, with a lot of people who start out working in live export um, and end up with a lot of career opportunities at hand. Yeah, absolutely. And for you, um, giving back to the industry, like an absolute asset, having a vet with your skills and experience, and you're now uh, involved in that training. Are you not with the accredited stockmanship? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's been another um, opportunity that's just led to, to more and more opportunities, actually. So I started giving the, the veterinary lectures at the Stock Persons Accreditation course. Um, and then that actually led to, to doing some further training work for the OIE, the, the World Organization for Animal Health. So our shipboard accreditation course is, is fairly highly regarded internationally and the OIE has sort of recognised that a lot of these animal handling, animal management skills that we teach at our stock persons accreditation are, are applicable to, to transport industries worldwide. So um, I've actually had some fantastic opportunities to travel to the Middle East, um, to I've given some training courses in, in Jordan and in Oman um, for the World Organization for Animal Health, working with vets internationally. So, you know, that, that's what I'm saying about working in, in this industry. It just opens so many opportunities for career progression. Wow, Renee, um, I can see a big grin on your face. Like that was obviously a wonderful experience. How did you feel that was received overseas? Like, do you think it was received well? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, training program it was called train, Training with Trainers. So we actually work with vets and, and people who are quite highly qualified um, working in the you know, Department of Agriculture and, and places like that. And those people were developing skills to, to provide their own training platforms to, to implement in their, in their own countries. So it was certainly, I learned so much as well. I, you know, I was talking about the live export industry as as I know it and and talking about inspecting animals on ships and you know the importance of uh, of getting on board a vessel and inspecting animals as soon as it, it comes alongside and one of the vets said to me um but shouldn't I wait for daylight and I thought well you know why wait for daylight get the animals off the ship as soon as possible she said but I, I wouldn't be able to see the animals um you know I, I do have a very good torch but I can't see the whole animals and I, I, the whole ship and I thought wow this is <laughs> no lights on the okay we're talking about a you know a wooden dow here we're not talking about a an AMSA accredited livestock carrier so yeah I think um I, I learned a lot about how things operate in other parts of the world as well and that uh, things aren't, aren't always the same as our as our Australian industry. So how did you find the standards of live export around other parts of the world in comparison to Australia? Um, yeah look that's that's obviously a, a pretty extreme um, uh, example and and those those smaller boats are, are just doing short short journeys with um, with small numbers of animals um, but certainly you know, to understand that there are a lot of other nations that are exporting animals and there are a lot of very well-maintained um, livestock vessels around the world. But certainly our um, standards from Australia are looked to as leading in, in this particular area of sea transport. Our, um, our standards are implemented and, and taken on board by a lot of other countries as well. So, for example, New Zealand often operates under our Australian standards for the export of livestock. Um, and a lot of stock people from New Zealand will, will come over and do our accreditation course here in Australia. Um, and I think that's, that's what led me into this work with the, the World Organisation for Animal Health um, working. I, I also give some lectures. I had the opportunity to speak at a conference in, in South America and at the, the head office in Paris as well. So that was, that was really exciting. Yeah, incredible. Um, to talk about sea transport. Um, it is, you know, I think, I think the number of animals that are transported by sea um, in all different countries around the world, you know, even just between, between islands in the Pacific or, you know, transported by sea rather than by road, around a, a nation's coastline and things. So, you know, there are a lot of animals on the water um, at all times around around the world internationally. And, and our Australian export standards, um, you know, we I know we <laughs> find it annoying at times that we have such a um, activist voice against our industry, but it certainly does drive progress and, and drive change. And, uh, and to me, that's what makes the industry good to work in is that, the, the industry does listen to community concerns and the industry is progressive. So you've seen improvements since your involvement in the industry? Oh, definitely. So I first started in, in 2015. I think even, even then when I was becoming accredited and, and doing the shipboard stockpilers course myself, I really got an understanding of the progressive nature and, and culture of the industry that there's no point saying, oh, but people do that in, in cattle yards around Australia all the time or, you know, what are these 
animal handling, it seems, you know, why do we have to adhere to all these things? Um, that's a really easy argument, but I think most people within industry just say, look, we're under a microscope, we have to, to perform to different standards and, and we can step up to it. So, so let's just do that. You know, let's, let's be leaders in animal handling skills and, you know, providing infrastructure and, and putting in good systems that, that make sure animal welfare is more than an acceptable standard, but a, a leading standard. Yeah. And when I want to get your opinion just on the industry talks about evidence-based change and evidence-based um, decision-making and improvements, as a researcher and an experienced vet, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the things about the live export industry is that some of the components of the supply chain are seem to be inaccessible. So when you know, if somebody's concerned about welfare in dairies or, or piggeries, those, those areas are seen to be accessible to, to inspectors from, um, from the Australian Department of Agriculture or state-based state inspectors and things. But our, our industries, during sea transport, it's very difficult to, to access those animals and, and see what's actually going on. And again, internationally, you know, after, after animals have arrived in destination countries, it's... it's um, it seemed to be quite a difficult supply chain sector to access to, to, to check the welfare and, and care of those animals. So the, the live export industries recognise that and we need to be making systems that accurately monitor welfare in those, in those areas and knowing what's happening all through the supply chain provides evidence for areas that we need to, to work on improving or, you know, working out whether our regulatory requirements are, are, are adequate um, and, and practical. So a, a lot of the concerns around industry actually arise from um, people's perception of the industry. So a lot of the, a lot of the areas of industry that are focused on improving are actually an answer to people's perception. And that's not always um, what actually needs to be addressed. We need to think of things from the perspective of the animals within the supply chain when we're talking about improving um, animal welfare regulation. So, you know, there's a, there's a notion that once animals leave Australian shores, we don't have control anymore. And, um, and that's where we need to be really stringent with our regulation. But actually, you know, there are, there are practices here at this end of the supply chain that we need to be just as mindful of and, and applying the same standards to our Australian systems that we, that we apply to, to overseas systems. Just because what's happening to our animals overseas gets more media time or air time or activist attention doesn't necessarily mean from the animal's perspective that that's the area that we need to, to improve. I think we've done a lot of a lot of work in recent years implementing SCAS standards, supply chain standards overseas. In, in the last, you know, even in, in recent months, the, the, the shipboard standards for animal welfare have improved and there's you know ongoing improvement and ongoing change is still required in those areas um, but we need to be mindful of the animal experience and, and base our regulatory changes on, on on what's happening for the animals rather than the human perspective. Yeah that comes back to your passion for animal welfare. Is that something that you keep in mind with your own research in the livestock industry? Yeah definitely I think being able to document and record uh, what's happening for animals within the supply chain allows us to make uh, decisions on, you know, based on evidence and, and reason rather than just um, opinion. So a lot of uh, a lot of 
reviews, there, there traditionally hasn't been a lot of information collected. The, the information collected, um, you know, much the same as, as all other production industries has been around mortality and, and disease and production factors. So, you know, that's that's been something across the board, but the live export industry, you know, has recognised that we need to, to go a little bit beyond just taking those measures and, and making a, a judgment on animal welfare and, and actually making attempts to, to record what's happening um, and then we can then we can have evidence and reason. And when we define a problem, we know exactly what we're trying to deal with. Um, and if we make regulatory changes or, or management or risk mitigation changes, we can see whether those those changes are effective or not. Because we've got that you know you can't you can't manage what you can't measure. So being able to measure animal welfare is is quite a new field for any production animal industry. Um, and I think the live export industries recognise that it needs to be leading on this um, on this particular research. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to um, following your story, Renee, over the next few years. And I don't think that you're um, necessarily going to stop this journey of improving animal welfare. So looking forward to see what the results come out as and, yeah, continually watching the industry improve. Just want to touch on your um, the career progression that you mentioned before. If some of our listeners want to get on board a livestock vessel and, and head overseas, how do they do that? So I think um, initially it's it's good to get in touch with with somebody from industry um, and and perhaps if if you can find some work in, in transport facilities or, or loading ships or um, helping out during those those periods of peak activity um, or working on on board a, a vessel um, you don't have to be an accredited stock person to to do a voyage on a vessel you have to work with an accredited stock person. Um, but if there if there's more than one stock person on the vessel, you can show an export company that you've got experience working with with cattle or sheep, um, and then work under an accredited stock person. If you want to become accredited, that get in touch with LiveCorp, have a look on their website. That they'll have details there about when the next accreditation course is is um, up and running. But certainly, you know, getting in touch with with an export company and and offering to do some work around those periods of peak activity around receiving livestock into the depot to the pre-export facility or um, loading vessels and yeah working with it with an experienced stock person or, or doing the shipboard stock person's accreditation course. Thanks Renee I'm sure we've got some uh, listeners that are very keen to, to be involved now, the industry can be hard work at times. You're often out at sea for long periods of time. Um, you're handling livestock. But do you have any lighthearted stories or something that really sticks out in your mind that you look back on now and, and have a bit of a chuckle? Uh, <laughs> a lot of the amusing stories um, come from, from working in an environment with, uh, you know, that's, that's previously been a male-dominated industry, but that certainly is is fast changing and definitely in recent years you know there, there are a lot more women working on ships but one of the first voyages I did we were sailing through the Suez Canal and up to Turkey and the Egyptian vets come on board to inspect livestock before before sailing through the Suez Canal um, and the chief officer called my cabin and said that the vet had come on board and I you know could I come down to the ship's office and uh, show them around the livestock Anyway, when I walked into the ship's office, the, <laughs> the Egyptian fellow like physically nearly fell over backwards. He actually 
the steps and and gasped when a, a female vet walked into the ship. <laughs> <laughs> the guys that I'd been sailing with already for a couple of weeks laughed at him as well. It was it was really I wasn't really expecting the reaction, but it was very funny. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, so yeah, there obviously has been a bit of a change in industry then with the female. Um, becoming more and more involved is have you had any recent experiences well I actually um, because I've been quite heavily involved in in the research project over the last uh, year or so I um, haven't been able to to sail on vessels but I'm certainly keen to to get back on board um, and, and sail again but I think there are a lot more female stockies and a lot more female vets working on board so I, I think hopefully the days when it's uh, quite shocking for someone to to see a woman on board is is changing slightly but actually again at the end of that voyage I think I was on board for about 35 days um, and we didn't have any internet access or, or any phone access and I was flying back from from Beirut from from Lebanon and when I got to the airport there, there was a, a lady checking in and I was so excited to <laughs> women aren't gobsmacking men all around the world <laughs> by our presence in the livestock industry. <laughs> oh, it's great. I've done a lot of voyages sailing with with other female stockies and, you know, it's, it's like such good friendships and, you know, obviously with the guys as well. But, uh, yeah, usually when I get on board a vessel these days, I'm, I'm not the only female on board anymore. So that's really good. Yeah, and very timely for International Women's Day being earlier this week. <laughs> Um, Renee, you were also a part of the Livestock Collective and how it first started. And I know that there's an image of yourself, Holly Ludeman, Bindi Murray and John Cunnington at the wharf and you're being swarmed by media and it's such a powerful capture of what it was like back then. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how you were involved? Yeah, look, that, um, that was certainly a very um, interesting and very intense time for industry. Um, it, it wasn't long after the, the 60 minute footage of, of the Awasi had been aired and, you know, that, that shocked the, the general public and it certainly shocked people working within the live export industry as well. It, it was also something that we wanted to show wasn't indicative of, of industry standard practice. Um, again, you know, leading to, to the research I'm doing, we, um, we need to be able to show what happens on a daily basis. So when something as shocking as that occurs, we can show that that really is an exception rather than a daily practice. Um, so it was a really difficult time having our industry represented by, by just this, this one particular media expose and, and really not having the ability to put forward any information to counter that, that narrative that all animals on board vessels were, were treated in this manner and that was just something that we accepted and worked with every day it just it was just such a you know taking that very extreme event and and having that represent our whole industry and not being able to counter those that narrative was drove us into into action and Holly Ludeman in particular was very good at, at motivating people and and getting people to speak up and I think prior to that the industry had almost held the belief that if we just put our heads down and keep doing a good job, we don't have to engage with the activist voice. 
um, but certainly, you know, after after that footage aired, we we definitely needed to to stand up and say no, that's not that's not how we operate on a daily basis. That's not something that we find acceptable, um, and it's certainly not our standard practice. So. Again, you know, it felt like sticking our head above the parapet a little bit because we were sort of just a few lone voices against this <laughs> this huge public perception and um, media frenzy. But Holly was great. She she organised some some media training for us so that we would be prepared to answer some pretty tough questions and be able to get our messaging and our, and our truth across. So we were all pretty nervous. You know, it definitely did feel like we were. Um, putting forward some information that people certainly wouldn't believe, um, but we knew that it was our truth and, and, and we wanted to, to put that truth forward. So, yeah, it was a very intense time. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a powerful story and just a completely different way of thinking of how we can be an industry and have a voice and be transparent and from that you actually invited people onto the live export vessels so the public could see for themselves um how was that perceived yeah that was again another huge feat on on you know holly and john organizing that because loading a vessel is a is a time that's really labor intensive there's a lot going on um you know there's so much to organize um it's a huge logistical operation so to to have this media tour and and media operation going on while all that um animal movement and and logistics of, of animal loading and animal care is is underway and animal handling um but look i think that has been one of the things that the live export industry you know when i first did the stock persons course they sort of said you need to be acting as though somebody's filming you the whole time because it's a possibility and you need to look and, and think about how you're handling animals and, and just always you know not, not letting your animal handling or, or your animal care fall to a level that you wouldn't want to have publicized to the world so that you know I guess we had a chance to really put that into practice when we um, actively invited the media to, to come and watch the vessel loading and um, explain to them. And I think, yeah, it was just seen as, as an area that had been previously inaccessible and to just open it up in, in such a way was a huge feat, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I still have people asking me now, like, can I get on a ship? Um, I want to go on while you're loading a vessel so that I can see. And I think even within industry, that transparency along the supply chain is important as well. That was another thing that happened during those times is that everybody, you know, that that it really opened up communications between the supply chains. And, you know, whilst we wanted to to show that that those those horrible pieces of footage that were aired um, were shocking to all of us and, and not indicative of standard industry practice. So I think everybody within industry banded together and said, how do we make sure that this just does not happen again? Um, everybody from producers to people working on ships to, to people receiving livestock at the other end. So the, the, the communication channels within the supply chain were improved so much around that incident and, and definitely inviting producers and things on board vessels to, to have a look and, and, and to show them how their livestock is, is being managed and being handled was very valuable for them to, to make sure that they um, maintained trust in, in people who, you know, that they were passing the care of their animals onto and, and to improve those communication channels was really valuable. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's one of our core objectives is uniting the supply chain, like not segmenting it. You know, we're all um, under one big umbrella that is the livestock industry and beyond that is agriculture. And I think that is so important. Do you perceive challenges going forward um, in this in this area with public perception? I think we'll always have challenges with public perception, but I think those um, those challenges are what what drives industry improvement. So I actually don't have any issue with people, um, you know, putting pressure on the industry to 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 continually be mindful of animal welfare because I think it it creates that that progressive and uh, the accountability of the the industry, you know, to make sure that community concerns are are addressed. So. I think, um, you know, getting back to looking at things from the animal perspective as well, we, we do have a tendency to look at things from the human perspective and, you know, somebody works at this end of the supply chain and somebody works in this supply chain sector and, um, you know, you think about doing the best job, but from the animal perspective, you know, they see all those supply chain sectors and, and move from one to the next. So um, it really makes sense that the information around how those animals are handled and managed flows with the animals um, and there's continuity because from the animal perspective, you know, they don't see it as supply chain sectors, they see it as, as the overall live export journey. Yeah, and that's it, the animal welfare really is at the, the core of what we do. And I just want to touch back on when you're communicating with the public, obviously um, you had that media training before you were swarmed at the wharf. Tell us a little bit about how you like to communicate across that you value animal welfare. Look, I think one of the things that I did uh, really learn from, from that initial media training was that um, you know, the, the, the media aren't always interested in, in putting the actual story forward. They're, they're often interested in putting forward a story that is uh, going to get the, the largest readership and, and get the most attention. So you know, getting getting our clear messaging and, and making sure that we get our message across rather than being led into sharing a story with the media that, that suits their agenda rather than putting forward the information that we want to get across. So engaging with media initially and, and having those skills and, and understanding that their line of questioning isn't necessarily about getting to the truth. It, it might it might be about getting to a story that they can sell. So so bringing that narrative back with each question, bringing that narrative back to, to putting across um, the truth that we wanted to get to get out into the um, into the public space. Um, so working with the question that you're that you've that you've been asked and making sure that you don't get led down a rabbit hole to talk about something that you, you're not necessarily all that well uh, versed in <laughs> or getting you know, drawn into talking about areas of the supply chain that we you know, might not be uh, expert at. And that was one of the things about that initial group of people. We had representatives from each area of the supply chain. So we didn't need to get drawn into, um, you know, I didn't need to be drawn into SCAS handling in, in foreign feedlot facilities or abattoir facilities because we had an expert there. Um, Nick was there, he worked in foreign feedlot facilities and, and abattoir facilities for so long. So we could direct those, those questions to the person who really knew what was happening in that supply chain sector. And that was fantastic. That, that was such a big asset to that, to that group of people that we had people with expertise from each area um, and everybody could get their truth across. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you're saying, the media is 
very good um, at what they do and getting that story. So it's just a fantastic uh, success from all of you guys all on the supply chain to be transparent and stick to your key messaging. And it's progressed into this wonderful, um, the livestock collective and continuing to be transparent. So I commend you for your involvement at the very beginning there, Renee. Actually, one more point on that. I think we were very careful not to just try and be argumentative. That, that was another um, really strong value that we had as a group, that we needed to acknowledge where issues occurred. We needed to be honest about things that we also recognised were issues for the industry and we were working on improving. So we didn't want to just become activists, you know, pro-industry activists, because that wasn't going to to help progress the industry at all. You know, we would have just been seen as a counter voice. So we were very happy to speak our truth and also to acknowledge um, areas of industry that did need to be improved. Yeah, and that's definitely one of our values still as a company is that when we are asked a hard question, we're willing to have that hard conversation and acknowledge where things have been done poorly and where we're improving and how we're making change to achieve that. And I think in our conversations, particularly online, we um, we have to be really careful because aggressive communication just gets us nowhere and it works on both ends. Like sometimes people comment that are pro our industry on our posts and we actually have to hide them because it's still a poor way of communication, even though they're supporting what we believe in as well. Yeah, I think, uh, well, um, to, to probably jump ahead a little bit here, but that's definitely one of the things from the livestock leadership course is, you know, presenting information and, and, and shared values and, um, you know, taking responsibility and accountability for, for, for things that do need to be improved and acknowledging where, where improvements need to, to take place and that you know, we do share values around improving animal welfare outcomes. So um, just being, just trying to, to contradict arguments is not, isn't really beneficial. Yeah, exactly. And that is one of the key lessons that um, we try and get across in our Livestock Leaders Workshop. How are you finding your involvement with the Livestock Leaders Program, Renee? It's been fantastic. It's great to have a, a, a network of people and, um, you know, bouncing ideas off other people and, and, and just the opportunities. Again, you know, I, I know I sort of keep going back to this, but Working in live export, I really have found there's so much for, for career progression and, you know, opportunities around learning social media skills, learning skills in, in communication, um, learning what other people are doing in the supply chain and, and sharing knowledge. You know, it's, it's one of the ways that the industry is, is progressive and, and um, the livestock leaders is an opportunity that's, that's been opened up to be a part of a, a group of people that are interested in taking on new ideas and, and being progressive. Yeah, it is really um, empowering to, to be around, to have all these people all on the supply chain and have similar values and be like-minded. It is, yeah, super powerful and super exciting. And it is great to have you part of the program, Renee. I have a couple of final questions. Um, I'm thinking that you work with animal welfare every day and it does come under a lot of scrutiny. Do you have, what keeps you motivated? Do you have mentors or inspirations that keep you on track? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, well, the other livestock leaders, uh, it's, it's often really good to see how motivated 
um, other people are and how passionate other people are. Um, and that's, you know, that's quite infectious. So working with other people who, who really do want to, to, to be progressive and adopt new technologies and, you know, continually make improvements. Um, but I think, yeah, look, in particular, uh, Teresa Collins that I that I that I work with on my on my research, um, she's often <laughs> uh, we can be talking about some pretty difficult issues around animal welfare, whether it's in live export or or any production animal system, and um, the clarity that that she presents the argument with, and um, again, you know, looking for for progress and and the compassion around. Um, people who work in, in particular industries and, and acknowledging areas that need to be improved and, and advanced and ways that that can be achieved um, and presenting that information in an accessible way is um, she's definitely one of the, the people that I try and emulate specifically in, in um, meetings where I start to get a little bit insistent as I, <laughs> as I before, before, perhaps obnoxious, um, but to just, you know, to be presenting information um, in a clear manner that, again, that, that is going to be well received by people rather than um, being seen to be obstructive or too forceful. So, uh, again, you know, working with a lot of people, um, I worked on the Shipboard Animal Welfare Surveillance Working Group last year. Um, within the industry, Richard Shepherd, um, David Beggs, Peter Barnard was was so good at presenting the information that was put forward and having the opportunity to work with people who have got such good professional skills is, is fantastic. Yeah, I think when you surround yourself um, in a team of people who are skilled and passionate, it really um, drives up your personal skills and enthusiasm and work ethic in the role that you're doing. The other thing that... Um, you know, as, as a vet and a researcher and a scientist and, and somebody who works in an academic space, I also really love working with people who are excellent at stock handling. <laughs> so, um, you know, loading a vessel or, or working with, with livestock, you know, that's one of the best parts of, of being a vet on a ship is that every day I just, I just work with animals. You know, there are so many parts of, of the veterinary profession that um, you might see five or six animals a day or, you know, as a racehorse fan, I, I did see a number of animals, but there was a lot of other aspects to my role, you know, writing invoices and <laughs> doing paperwork and following up lab results and things. But on a live export vessel, really, I just handle animals all day. And a lot of the people, particularly in the live export space, who are, who are really good at, um, you know, effective animal handling practices and, really I, I find that quite inspirational when people are so good at at moving livestock and and working with livestock in a, a you know in as with as, as little stress as possible yeah that low stress stock handling um it just sounds like you have the time of your life when you get out on a <laughs> ship Renee <laughs> well I don't always it can be pretty challenging at times but yeah <laughs> I've spent a lot of time, all of the, those hours that I've spent in lecture theatres and things, a lot of the stock stockies that I work with have spent um, those hours, uh, you know, in cattle yards or in, in sheep yards and shearing sheds and things. And, you know, their, their ability to handle livestock is, is, really, is really cool. So I have one more question for you, Renee. If you could get one key message out there for everyone to hear and understand, including those involved in the industry, including animal activists, what would that key message be? Um, that we need to be making, continually making incremental improvements. So, 
you know, we, we need to be accountable and we need to always be looking for ways that, that we can improve welfare outcomes. Um, so, you know, we need to, to be, we still need to have a productive animal industry. Um, you know, our agricultural industries do need to be commercially viable, um, but we also need to be continually looking for ways to, to improve, you know, just, just stagnating and saying, but this is the way we've always done it. Um, just isn't good enough. And, you know, listening to the activist voice and taking on the, the points that they raise that, that are reasonable and, and that are um, do actually require addressing and, you know, working in our daily uh, roles to, to always continually adopt incremental improvement. Thank you, Renee. And thank you so much for joining us on the Livestock Leaders podcast. No problem. Thank you very much for having me along. It's been uh, a, an interesting chat. Cheers. Thanks, Renee. You have an inspirational tale to tell, and I hope you sharing this can empower more people to share their own stories. Your passion for animal welfare shines through, and I want to wish you the best of luck in your endeavours. It's fantastic to have the likes of you leading the way in animal welfare on a global scale. A big thank you to our audience for listening. Every fortnight, we release a new episode with more leaders and champions throughout the livestock industry. Please subscribe or leave a review and join our community on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Livestock Leaders to hear more real and empowering stories.